Good morning. Now, I don't normally do notes, handout notes, um, but I have this morning. One of the reasons will become apparent as we go through. Right, now, last week, we were looking at the fundamental of prayer, the, the most important point of prayer. Thy will be done, not my will be done. And I spent, personally, the last 10 years trying to share with people that I think one of the fundamental problems of the church over the last couple of hundred years is to move away from that thought and to come to a place where prayer has actually become giving God instructions. We were talking this morning about this, and I remember my first time that I realized this, and God quietly whispering to me, you've spent the rest of your life, or the past of your life, just quietly giving me instructions, haven't you? And realizing that's what my prayer life had become, giving God advice and asking him how to do it better. Um, prayer is actually adjusting our life to him, not asking him to adjust his will to us. Okay, that's the first point. The second point is to remember this is about a relationship. We have talked many times um, in this church about the difference between covenant and, um, and, and law, covenant and contract. This is a covenant. It's a relationship. So when we're talking about things here, we're not giving a legal checklist that you can say, right, wrong, right, wrong. How did that prayer go? Wrong. That one? Right. That's not, we're not doing that. We're looking at a covenant. And so prayer is essentially talking to God. So if we're talking to God, we're praying. But the important thing is that the basis from which we are coming is that we are addressing our will to his, not asking him to adjust his will to ours. That's what we talked about last week. So that was the whole of last week's sermon in how many minutes? I should have done that last week, shouldn't I? Right, so this week, we're going to ask the other question then. If prayer is, thy will be done, what is his will? How do we know what God's will is? And this is a big stumbling block for many people. What is his will? Okay, so let's start again with the thought uh, that we, we can um, hold. I might feel... God has told me to go to Paris. Okay? How do I get to Paris? Now, here's the question. It doesn't matter. If I know that God wants me to go to Paris, I just pray, Lord, take me to Paris. How I get there is not so important. And it's similar with prayer. You don't have to know what God's will is. You just have to be prepared to fulfill it. And he will reveal it to you as you go along. So what I'm saying is the preparedness is more important than the actual knowing his will. Otherwise, we get up and we pray and we're stuck. We can't do anything because we can't be certain what God's will is. And many people find, how do I pray? Well, the, the, the answer to that is simply you are being asked to open yourself to preparedness that God is changing you. The basis of prayer is God is changing you, not you trying to change God. Right, so let's start with that. We're talking about a relationship, a covenant, laws, and, and not, not laws and contract. So there's some overlap here. Okay, well, there's no right and wrong. There's a bit of overlap. So I've divided this sermon into two sections. Unfortunately, there's two A, two B, two C, and two D, and one A, which is why I've given you notes to help you th through that. So the first bit. Can we look at God's will, and this is just my way of looking at it, okay, as saying three rules of describing God's will. 
So these are on the sheet, but just they're pretty basic. Three ways, three rules describing God's will. And it's simply you, me, and God. Okay, it couldn't be simpler, could it? You, me, and God. So let's start with um, you or us. So me, us, and God. When I came out this morning, um, we had to pull out onto the Lutterworth Road. And as I was coming out, I, I thought, I'm going to be, be very safe. I'll have to be safe. So I got my mobile phone out while I was parked on the drive. And I rang up the Queen. I said, morning, Queen. And she said, hello. And I said, I just want to check. You haven't changed your mind recently, have you? We do drive on the left. And she said, yeah, haven't changed my mind Thank you for ringing up. That's really good of you to be really safe. I've got to take a few more calls. Someone's ringing up, wanting to know whether the traffic lights are still red. And I said, fine. Okay, thank you, Queen. Off we go. And I drive on the left. Now, how ridiculous is that? We know there are standing laws in the country, are there not, that aren't going to change. So when we come to knowing God's will, we can look at the us. There are standing orders And very often, that's all we need. God's standing orders are pretty clear, usually. And you can ask yourself a question. If God makes it clear in the scripture, it's clear. If he doesn't make it clear, don't worry about it. He's given you some laxity. So I've just picked on two here. You can look in the scriptures, you can find lots of them. But two sets of standing orders, the Ten Commandments. Whatever you're doing, if you're doing something in God's will, it's going to be in the, the line of the Ten Commandments. Another verse, a very, uh, John read this last week. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk hungrily with your God. If you're trying to find God's will, it's going to be in there. Look at the standing orders. Start off with the standing orders. And here's another little thing for you to look at. The Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Oh, we all know them. Yes, we all know them. And then we look into the Old Testament and we look at the description of the Ten Commandments and we look at what they are. And what do you find? Different lists that are not exactly the same. All right? So what's God saying? He's saying, you've got to interpret this. You've got to use a bit of common sense in working it out. Those lists in the, in, the ten, in, the, in the scriptures are not the same in the Ten Commandments. Go and look it up. So we, we, we need to use our intelligence to work out what the Ten Commandments are. All right. So have we got that? Standing orders. We, we could spend years looking at the scripture standing orders. I'm just going to ask you, go find them. They're pretty obvious. Um, It should be pretty clear what they are. Right, so that's us. The next one um, is more personal. It's individual guidance. God does give us individual guidance. And if I I could make an analogy there, that I, as a, uh, when I was, I'm no longer working as a doctor, but when I was, there were laws of this country that applies to everybody, including me. I couldn't say, I'm a doctor, I'm driving on the right. Right? But there were things I was allowed to do that other people weren't. And there were actually things I wasn't allowed to do that other people were. So there were specific instructions for a particular role in our society. And it's the same in the church. 
God has given us individual roles, individual instructions. It's a question of finding them out. There's lots and lots of examples in the scriptures. I like this one. Um, this is in Paul's, it's Acts 16, um, 7 to 10, and it's Paul's uh, missionary journey. And if you look up all the words here and get them on a map and look them up, Paul is actually traveling up through Turkey. And he gets to Galatia, which is the middle of Turkey. And it says, when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That's the Holy Spirit. So, passing Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, look at the map. They were going up through Turkey, and they wanted to go sharp right. And God said, no, go sharp left. And so God turns them around, and they go to Troas. And then a vision appears to Paul in the night, uh, a man of Macedonia, which is Greece, standing there saying, come to Macedonia and help us. Really key point in the history of the church. Because this is when the church began to change its basis from being uh, based on uh, Asia to based on European culture. And why was the New Testament written in Greek? Probably because Paul turned left here. If he had turned right, probably wouldn't have been. But he turned left and went to Greece. Now, Greece was the common language of the, over the whole area, fair enough, but he goes into Greek culture. And then you find the locus of evangelism shifts more across um, to there to get the development of that in church, but we won't go on to that. Um, but the point is, here's an individual instruction to Paul. Go left. Now, so when I'm driving, should I always turn left? Because God's word prevents us from turning right. Now, how ludicrous is that? But with great respect, when you look at a lot of theologies, that's the sort of level of scriptural interpretation they use. They whip out a little bit of a scripture, pin it on the wall, and says, God's word says this. Well, it does say it, it doesn't mean it. You know, we have to take the whole context of scripture, not just one or two lines to make our pet theory. Of course you can turn right. This was a personal instruction for Paul for a reason. So, personal instructions. Has God given you a personal piece of leadership? He, he may do, but it would be personal to you. We can test it by the following criteria. This is another one I like. Um, Acts 19, 11 to 12, again about Paul. Read it carefully, please, because there's more errors falling over this one than I want to go into, and I'm not going to go there this morning. And God was doing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul. There's the statement. These are extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. They noticed two things. One, this was extraordinary. Secondly, it worked. Okay? A number of times I've heard of people using various methods of prayer and claiming it's biblical because it's based on these verses. If you have an extraordinary gift and what you do works, great. But please don't come to me and say it didn't work because my faith wasn't enough or somebody else's faith wasn't enough, or it wasn't done in the right, or whatever. This is an extraordinary thing done for Paul. So those are just two examples. We, we can look at many, many other examples of personal guidance in the scripture. So there is um, God's will applying to everybody, which is why I suggest we start. And then there's those individual things 
that say to you, I mean, I'm really very certain that, Paul, that God has spoken to John and asked him to be the leader of this church as time goes on. That's for him. It's not for anybody else. So there are personal calling and personal guidance that we should respect and see and look for. Every one of us has it because God has left nobody without a role. So find your role. Move in it in confidence. Maybe more obvious. For, some people are more public than others. Some, some roles are quiet. Some are behind the scenes. You know, we're not all heads. Some are hands. Some are feet. Some are hearts. We all, but we all have a personal role that God is calling us to. You never retire as a Christian. You're not going to get to an age where you say, I've retired from being a Christian now. I'm going to give it up and go fishing, which is what I'm doing most of the time. But that isn't, it isn't what happens. God still works there, and you're still working for him wherever you are. Third one. Okay, we've got us, me, and God. 2 Peter 3, 9 to 10. Um, now, the Lord is not slow fulfilling his promises, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, that, that all should come to repentance. And we get this repeated in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. Um, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. And then we find that doesn't fit with what happens, it doesn't fit with our understanding. Here's my humble advice on that. Trust him. It's God's problem. This is what God has said he is going to do. Well, let him get on with it. It's not your problem. Life goes in cycles. And uh, when we had small children, uh, they learned and we learned fairly quickly that the words your mother said and I know best uh, were very applicable. Now we've got grandchildren and we're back to the same place. You know, I'm not arguing with you. I said or your mother said or, or, or nine said, Maggie said, that's it. We're not arguing about it. Yeah, that's how sometimes we should hear God in that way. This is what God's heart is. We'll trust him. God is love. God is just. What more do you need? Just trust him. He's going to bring these things to fulfillment. Our job is to carry out our life now, not to stress over what God is or isn't going to do. Again, we've had all sorts of fun and games with that one. Um, there used to be a chorus. I don't think we sing it quite so much now where somebody's eschatology, that's the second coming, doctrine of the second coming of Christ, had crept into the choruses. And there was a sort of, not so much now, but 15, 20 years ago, a little sort of belief in the choruses that Christ will come back when we have evangelized the world. He can't come back until we do. So therefore, God's up in heaven trying to come back, but he can't because we haven't done something. So I remember actually rewriting some of the words on these choruses. So when we sang them here, it actually meant something different. I didn't say, worship to him, but notice this, but uh, um, that we may speed his return uh, was written out. And if you look at our, our, our it says something different. Uh, it's not up to us, it's up to God. Our job is to align ourselves with his will and to do our part, yes, but to trust him. It's a, it's a conversation. Right. That's point one then. Um, point one A B C, uh, three ways of looking at the at God's will, uh, what He says to everybody, what He says to me, and the vision He gives us that He Himself is working out. And um, in those three areas, we can often find our path. Particularly if we look at the, um, the, the 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 one that covers all of us, because that's usually pretty obvious. Right. 
So the next question is, okay, this is the sort of thing God is saying. How does he say it? Now, this one's fun too. There are many, 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 many ways that God speaks to us. I'm just going to look at four this morning. Um, You'd be pretty obvious why I'm looking at four. Um, But again, there's no right and wrong here. Let's not limit God. We're looking at God as a relationship. And he, he speaks to us all differently, but let's look at this. And I'm not going to do it in any particular order. Um, I'll just say there are three core ways. And we're going to look at the three core ways first of all. Uh, it's not true, I am doing them. I'm, I'm going to do them in an order, in a way that I know riles most people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still a rebel at heart. Okay, here is the first way that God speaks to us. Or one, uh, one of the core ways that God speaks to us. Science. All right? Science. That's one of the core ways that God speaks to us. If your theology doesn't match with science, either your theology is wrong or science is wrong. How do I say that? Let's read Romans 1, 19 to 23. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. What's he shown? His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honour him or give him thanks. They became futile in their thinking, in their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, and so we go on. But let's, what is the scripture telling us? The scripture telling us is that God's eternal power, divine nature, can clearly, clearly be perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, of course, when I'm saying science here, I'm meaning accurate science. And those of us who may read scientific journals know that scientific journals aren't always accurate and not always honest. So we have to be a bit careful. We don't just believe what scientists say. But we should be honest that the world, God's nature, can be perceived by what he has made. And this one I like. This is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, on this subject. Job 38 to 41. What have you got? You know the story of Job. And um, Job is suffering, and he has all these advice from all these people, and they don't give him good advice. And at the end of the book, God turns up. And God says, speaks to Job. And what God actually says in chapters 38 to 41 is simple. God is saying, if you want to know me, look around. That's where I am revealed. Look around. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens the counsel with words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched a line upon it? Or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones? And we go on. But we're talking about measurements. We're talking about foundations. We're talking about structure. We're talking about the way God made the world. And so God's answer to Job was, look around you. This is interesting because um, the tradition is, it's only a tradition, 
that Job was fifth in line from Adam. So this, this happens before Moses. This happens um, uh, before Abraham. He, it's very, very early. This is probably one of the, Job is probably one of the earliest stories in the world. And so way back before the law is given, before the, uh, the, the Jews have been created, before, before Abraham and Isaac, before all that, God says, you can know me by looking around. Look at what you see. This will tell you who I am. And what do you see? We see order. We see structure. We see planning. We see all these things. We see other things which they don't like to tell us about, like the cooperation. One of my pet things, this is not a place to go into this. Evolution is described as the uh, competition between the strongest. That's at an individual level. At a species level, you see cooperation. Evolution is based upon the cooperation of the species, not just the conflict of the individual. Not taught, but it's there, and it's in the scientific journals. So, that's what we have in terms of four ways of looking at God. One, science. Two, and this is the one that came first, actually, the Holy Spirit. How do we have the scriptures? Did they fall out of the sky in a packet with a bow on, in a case that somebody opened and read? No, they were written by people. And how were those people motivated? By the Holy Spirit. How has the scriptures been kept for all these thousands of years? By the Holy Spirit. We cannot perceive any understanding of God's will without being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, big subject that. I'm just going to make the statement. But let's look at what we, we have in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians three twelve to 18. We're talking about reading of the Old Testament, reading of the Jewish law. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in order to understand the Scripture, we have to have the help of the Spirit. So hence, we, we sometimes find in the Scripture, there are rooms, there's room to have different views, like the different versions of the Ten Commandments. How do we know what it means? It's not intellectual, it's the spirit. There is a role for intellect, yes. But it's the spirit who guides us, the spirit who leads us. So to understand the will of God in the scripture, we need to have the Holy Spirit guiding us and speaking to us. Galatians 5, uh, we get this wonderful uh, description of the spirit, but uh, there's this wonderful words in 23, against such there is no law. Against the leading of the Spirit, there is no law because the Spirit preceded the law. <laughs> spirit was given through the law. So we have to be in tune with God and we have to know uh, and be responsible and responding to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Another subject. And um, we'll be there forever if, I, if we go there. But just for us to know that understanding God's will means we have to be in tune with God. And this takes away any idea that it's a tick box. You know, make a list, tick, 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 got it. Someone else can do it, a theologian can do it. No, you can't. It's a personal walk, personal relationship between you and God. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The role of the Spirit. So, how, do we, um, how does God reveal his word to us? By looking around you, by the creation, by science, by the moving of the Holy Spirit upon your, your mind and your soul so that you understand what God is saying. And again, go to the Old Testament. This is what I love. I'm going to read, read these, these whole verses. Um, this is Elijah. And Elijah is a very powerful prophet who does some pretty cool stuff. You know, he he's, um, does things that uh, other prophets didn't do. And then he, he comes to a place where he gets threatened. Um, where he, he has an amazing thing. He has a battle, if you like, with, with, with the king and the Balaam. And, and this is the bit where uh, they make a sacrifice and, and Elijah saying, pour water on it, pour water on it. And he brings down fire from heaven and... All, all the prophets of Baal are, are defeated and whatever. And you, you think, wow, he really must be on a high now. Um, he's just had the total victory. And what happens? He completely loses it, actually, <laughs> and becomes completely depressed and completely worried. You see how human he is. And he runs away because a, um, the queen, Jezebel, says something about him and he runs. So he runs off in the desert. After this amazing victory with, with God on his side, he runs into the desert and hides. So there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In the context, you know, I've just given you the greatest victory in the Old Testament and and you run away. What are you doing here? And he said, Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Self-pity crept in. Self-centeredness is creeping in. I, only I am left. Well, it wasn't true. Poor Elijah. But he's human. And God said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But God was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... And the King James translation here is fantastic. After the fire, a still, small voice. Still, small voice. This translation says the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, the voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) God's got a sense of humor. Um, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's recommissioned, and he gets up and, and continues. But where was God? In this still, small voice. Don't be led aside by the great theater that many people bring. You don't have to send your prayer request to somebody else to pray for you. God will hear you. God is in the still, small voice. So, How do we find God? We look at the creation around us. 
How do we find God? We're led by the Spirit. And the Spirit speaks to us in the still, small voice. It's not the only way, but it's one way. And lastly, the way, of course, that we all know. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings or the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all scriptures, all the sacred writing is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. So we come back to scripture. And if you notice that when I was talking about science, I appealed to scripture. When I was talking about the spirit, we appealed to scripture. So scripture is our basic core. That's what we start upon. Scripture. And notice, please, that what it says scripture is profitable for is for training in righteousness, not for training in science. So... You know, when we get these, uh, it can't be like this because scripture says you very often find people have misunderstood the science and they misunderstood the scripture. There is no conflict between scripture and science because they're both given by God. One is the worldly description of what God has done. The other one is the spirit description of what God is doing. They come from God. So how can God confuse himself? So those three things are the basis by which we should, dis- which we should assess whether or not we are in the will of God or seeking the will of God. We could, we could uh, turn the word science into common sense, if you like. What we see, what is obvious around us, what is common sense, uh, the scripture, and of course the scripture enlightened to us by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely key point. It must be scripture enlightened by the Holy Spirit, not somebody pulling verses off walls and pinning it in places and making up stuff that doesn't fit. The scriptures are beautiful, beautiful uh, harmony coming together of different thoughts over different times, over different cultures in different languages, and it harmonizes. And it's in that harmony that we find God's will. There is no conflict in the harmony of scripture. There is conflict in the detail of scripture. And I think God did that deliberately. Like, go look up the Ten Commandments. They're different in two different lists. Okay, but God is bringing the harmony of Scripture together because we need the Spirit to open our eyes. So, if I can now take another step. Um, These three things, for me, are the basis by which we measure God's will. There's then a whole load of other things which we have to measure against. And I put on here conscience is one. But we could look at coincidence... We could look at opportunity, we could look at open doors, uh, millions of things we can find. But we measure them all against these three things. So let's look at conscience. Um, by the way, this is, this is where we, we, we come to one of the errors. It's uh, a very bad mistake to try and make scripture and science, etc. fit our conscience. It should be the other way around. Our conscience should fit the scripture. 
Okay, it's the other way around. We are, at the moment, in the West, being faced with a huge challenge, which is having huge damage upon the church and upon individuals. Because our consciences are being continually led um, and pushed and altered and changed in our regard uh, to hu- human sexuality, basically. The scripture says one thing. It, you, it's pretty clear what the Bible says from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. There's, there's just no arguing about it. But we are being told all the time that, that to, to change what we believe and pressures put upon us. And many, many churches are, have changed their position because they've been pushed over to saying, by conscience, we, we think that uh, we've softened on these areas or whatever else. No, we hold to what the scripture plainly and clearly says, and we believe that God will work his purpose out in his time. And anybody has any doubts about that, every single person of you here is an organism made up of cells. Every cell contains DNA. Every DNA marks you as male or female. Every single cell in your body. It doesn't matter what role you play. It doesn't matter what surgery you have. It doesn't matter what... Every cell in your body is marked male or female. There are a few... Um, exceptions to that, but we tend to see those as being the illnesses or diseases. Everybody here, that's how you are marked. So, conscious should follow scripture, not scripture conscience. But let's look again in Romans 2, 12 to 16. For all who have sinned without the law, in other words, all those people who have um, sinned but don't know the law, they've not heard the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That's quite a statement. Get your head around that one. They will be judged by the criteria that they have, is what Paul is saying. For it is not hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This can take a lot of unpacking, but I just want to make the point that conscience comes into play. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show the works of the law as written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So, those people who have not heard the gospel, they've got two two testimonies. They've got the testimony of the creation, of the science, what they can look at, and they've got the, the prodding, the leading of their conscience. Inside of the human condition, despite the fall of man, despite our sin, the message of God is still written inside. And Paul says clearly here um, that their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now how you work this into your view of predestination, of God saving the whole world, of, of uh, God's judgment, that's another issue. That, 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 this is where we come back to sometimes and say, can't unravel that lot, God, I just trust you. So my suggestion is, yeah, look at those things, be puzzled by them, be wondered by them, be confused by them, but come back and say, at the end of the day, I trust God. He's going to work it out. But clearly it says here that conscience is a way of God speaking to people. However, I would tell us here that conscience is subjected to the scripture, uh, scripture enlightened by the Holy Spirit, and it will not conflict with God's works that he's done. So, we can say that the scripture, um, the works of science or common sense, and the spirit, these emanate directly from God. The Holy Spirit comes directly from God. 
the scriptures brought to us through the medium of, of human beings, but nevertheless inspired directly from God. Um, however you believe we, this world came into being, for me it's self-evident it was breathed by God. Whether he did it by six days or did it over 600 million years, I really don't care. Um, what matters to me is it was God's creation. God brought it to us and it emanates from him. Consciousness emanates from us. So it's therefore subject to that which emanates from God. And that's the same when you, uh, if you're, you're assessing what am I going to do in my life, and opportunity comes up. Opportunity can come from anywhere. The devil can give you opportunity. It may be of God, may not be. But look at the opportunity and compare it to what emanates from God. Teaching, encouragement, coincidence, all sorts of things. Take the things which emanate from God first. So we must always check our leading against these three, the spirit, the word, and common sense. Right, there we are, pretty well on time. So there's an awful lot in there. Um, you could spend the next year going through this. But I, I'm just going to finish by saying, if your heart is to be right with God, God is not going to let you down. You may make mistakes, but he's going to pick you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us through a person, through your son, through Jesus. We thank you that our walk with you is based upon a relationship. It's a relationship in which you've sent the Spirit to talk with us, to commune with us, to teach us. You've given the scriptures to open our eyes. You've placed us in a wonderful world that's created by your hand and shows uh, your nature. Thank you, Lord, you're not a distant God, a faraway God. Thank you, God, you're not a demanding God, a cruel God. Help us to trust you. Help us to put our trust in you and realize that you are love, that you are just, that you are truth. And in the end, that will prevail. Amen.